So I'm going to read um, from Acts chapter 8. And if you look in front of you, you should be able to find a wee blue uh, pew Bible. And we're reading on page 916. Acts chapter 8. And I'm actually going to start at verse 4. Page 916. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many of them. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man called Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the, has the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God." Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. If you just look up to verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. You're talking about a man called Stephen being stoned to death. And then it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. During the 21st century, Christians across the world have fled their homes and countries because of persecution. 
50% of Syrian Christians have fled their country. Others, like Pastor Edward, have stayed because he said, we want to see the church do the work of Christ here to be a light in the darkness. That's despite Christians being attacked, abducted, and killed. There's a similar persecution going on in North Korea, Eritrea, Libya, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, and Kazakhstan, and I could go on. One pastor imprisoned for nine months wrote, while in prison at every moment being there, I felt God's protection, his mercy and the peace of the Lord who is always with me and who mightily used me in my, imprison, in my imprisonment. He talked about Jesus to fellow prisoners and to prison guards. Persecuted Christians do not keep quiet. They speak about their faith in Jesus. They speak to their enemies. Yakubu, a Nigerian Christian, sustained terrible injuries when Boko Haram militants viciously attacked him and left him for dead. By God's grace, he's able to forgive his attackers. They hurt me so much, but I love them so much. I want them to know that Christ brings life, he said. In each country I've mentioned, persecuted Christians continue to witness despite personal danger. And that's what today's reading is all about. It's all about what happened when a severe persecution of Christians broke out in the first century. One Christian leader, Stephen, is stoned to death. Some Christians are imprisoned and others, instead of hiding, went everywhere preaching about Jesus. How many of us here this evening believe that we have a gospel worth dying for, worth being beaten up for? Open Doors have said that God spreads the gospel through the pains and the chains of persecution. Persecution is the motor of the gospel. In chapter 1 of Acts, Luke records Jesus saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here in chapter 8, Luke is telling us about Philip going to Samaria. Luke had already mentioned Philip in chapter 6. He describes him as one of the seven chosen to serve the church. Luke says that Philip had a good reputation, was full of the spirit and wisdom. And here's Philip heading to the city of Samaria, a non-Jewish area to the north of Jerusalem in some hilly country. And there he tells the Samaritans about Jesus. Samaritans believe and are baptized. And in the power of the Spirit, people are healed. Now, there may seem to be nothing remarkable about that. There may seem to be nothing remarkable to hear that there, there are these Samaritans were coming to, to faith. Until we ask who the Samaritans were. Although Jews and Samaritans both worship Yahweh, Samaritans were viewed with great suspicion by the Jews because 700 years earlier, Samaritans came into Israel's homeland. They were planted there by the Assyrians and the Israelis were pushed out. Samaritans and Jews were long-standing enemies. But Philip tells them about Jesus and many believe and are baptized. I wonder if we are so quick to tell our enemies about Jesus. I wonder how quick we are to welcome those we might consider our enemies to worship alongside of us. 
in church. The truth is that some of us won't even bring our family to church. The truth is that some of us won't even tell our friends about Jesus. We're afraid of being ridiculed. We're afraid of what people might think of us. 21st century people are being killed for their faith. First century people were being persecuted, stoned to death. And we don't even want to speak about Jesus. Luke draws attention to one particular new believer, Simon the magician. He's an interesting character. He told everybody in Samaria that he was great and he got a lot of attention. In verses 10 and 11, check it out, it says they paid attention to Simon. But when they believed in Jesus, they paid attention to Jesus. Even Simon believed and was baptized. Nobody gets excluded. We're all welcome to believe in Jesus and to be baptized. God's grace and love are big enough to cover all our sins, even those of a boaster like Simon who practiced magical arts. No matter what any of us have dabbled in, no matter how big our egos or our heads, God's love and grace can cover all our sin because Jesus has paid the price for it all through his death on the cross. God truly has done great things for us. But there's more to this story than people who should be the enemy coming to faith. This news spreads to Jerusalem and Peter and John are sent to pray and for and encourage the Samaritan believers. Luke then tells us that the believers had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John laid hands on them, praying that they receive the Holy Spirit, and they did. We are told that Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given. There must have been a visible or audible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. People must have been speaking in tongues or prophesying, having words of knowledge. There was some evidence that the Holy Spirit had come and that the the apostles had power to pray for that. Simon the magician offers to buy that power. He didn't seem to want the gift of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we can't buy God's power. Spiritual gifts are surprising, undeserved, unmanipulated, and uncontrollable. They're certainly not for sale. And Peter immediately confronts Simon, saying, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. That's what that word gall means. I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. I love how direct Peter is. Harsh, but straight. So many of us are wishy-washy when it comes to confronting wrong motives in our fellow Christians. We'll say, he draws a lot of people. She does a lot of good. When in fact, they may actually be bringing shame to the name of Christ or the church's witness. I don't really know what was going on in Simon's heart. Maybe Simon is jealous of Philip and that had made him bitter. Peter says he is bound by iniquity, meaning lawlessness, unrighteousness, or unrightness, if you want to make up a word, not right according to God's standard of holiness. Holiness and uprightness really matter to God. Simon the magician saw the manifestation of the spirit and the power that was behind that gift. Peter saw Simon's heart. He saw that Simon's heart was not right before God. 
But look at the very next word in verse 22. Repent. God is the God of second chances. Our hearts may not be right tonight, but God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, and more chances. Confession means owning up to our sin, absolutely. But repentance is all about change. It means turning away from our sin and turning instead to God. We follow a God of grace who's full of power, full of love, full of mercy, a God who gives us a chance to change our hearts. I love Hillsong's song, Ready or Not. It says, come now as you are or as you want to be. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come now tired, broken, scared, or just in need. Ready or not, it's all right. Take your time. If nothing else, just come. Those words very much speak to the gospel of Jesus being for everyone. No one gets excluded. No matter what we've dabbled in, no matter what we've come from, nobody is excluded. We just need to come just as we are or just as we want to be. But there's another verse that speaks the truth that God is mighty to save, that he keeps his promises. But this verse also speaks about God caring about the stuff that we keep hidden, the stuff that is in our hearts. He says he's not moved by how well we might look the part Here's the words. He's still faithful to deliver, mighty to save. He's still good on his promises and his love still never fails. He's not moved by perfection or how well we look the part, but he's wild about the hidden stuff like he's wild about the heart. God is so wild about us that he cares about the deepest, darkest bits that we keep hidden away in our hearts, our hatred of people we consider our enemy, our bitterness, our jealousy, ugly comparison and competition, our desire for power, our desire to be great and get a lot of attention, or maybe our failure to speak to our family, our failure to bring our friends to church. Who's going to beat us up for doing that? But we don't even think we've got a gospel worth a bit of ridicule. We need to confess and own up to the stuff that's going on in our hearts. We need to repent, to change, to turn away from them and turn to God and his ways, to his standards of holiness. God's not interested in super, superficial faith. He doesn't want us just to believe and be baptized and simply stay the way we are. God wants to change us from the inside out. He's looking for heart change. Christians have a word. Theologians have a word for this process of changed, change. It's called sanctification. It's a process of transformation. From our reading, we know Simon was a believer but he wasn't perfect. He's still in the process of transformation, of sanctification. It's a job that goes on till we die. As Christians, we all struggle with sin, doubt, trials, rebellion. We're all a work in progress. 
But from the moment we surrender to Jesus, he begins to transform us from the inside out. It's a process that happens when we're intimately connected with him. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, those who remain in me, those who are stuck together with me, and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a powerful image of deep connection between believers and Jesus. All that we are, our life, our thoughts, our actions, they grow from this connection to Jesus Christ. Jesus' followers abide and are united to him in a supernatural and life-giving way. But John 15 also speaks about God pruning branches to make them more fruitful. This is not about willpower. This is actually about God refining our characters to make them more like his. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, by the power of his spirit, transforms what we think. He sanctifies us. He transforms our hearts. But incredibly, we actually get to cooperate in this process. 2 Peter 1, 5 says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with godliness. Make every effort to be holy. Abiding and effort are required of all of us. When we abide in Christ and we, when we work at our holiness, we don't just look the part. We have truly transformed hearts. So I don't know where any of you are tonight. I preached this sermon to myself all week. It was a big challenge. How often... We just don't take the opportunities to speak for Jesus. Nobody's going to beat us up or throw stones at us. I did have stones thrown at me um, as a Christian in Ethiopia. My friend was beheaded in Ethiopia for being a Christian. And the wee family, she was from Denmark, and the wee family that was with her um, at that time with kids and the wife pregnant, they actually went back in after Yenna was dead and continued to plant the church. Nobody's going to harm us. And yet we're shut up. We don't even speak about Jesus. Or maybe you haven't surrendered your life to God yet. Maybe you're still sitting on the fence waiting for somebody to give you a big push. God has done great things for us. We can repent and believe in Jesus and all he's done for us. Or maybe we know our hearts are just not right. We need to turn away from that and turn to God. We have some hatred in our hearts, some stuff we're carrying that we really need God to deal with. Maybe we've got bitterness or jealousy in our hearts, some desire for some power or control over people that we need to repent of. Or just that we want to be great. People think we're wonderful. And we want a lot of attention. 
God wants us to repent of that. He's not interested in that kind of a heart tonight. He's not looking for a superficial faith. He wants to do a deep work inside each one of us. I'm going to call the band back up to lead us as I pray. Father, I don't know where everybody is in this room. I know where my heart is, and I know what you've been speaking to me about this week. But I just pray, Father, would you come and do a work inside each of us so that we would make the effort to become more holy. But also, Lord, would you give us the discipline of hanging in with you, of leaning hard against you all day, every day, so that we are rooted in you and abiding in you and remaining in you and that that way you get to transform us. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.